One of my favorite, favorite times of the year is when we're starting a brand new series, and we are starting something called The Deadlies. The Deadlies. We thought, you know, it's summertime. Uh, everybody's thinking about the beach. Everybody's thinking about fun, hanging out with their family, going on vacation. Let's talk a lot about Stin for seven or eight weeks. That's what our, our crack strategy team came up with. And so, that being me. So, yeah, so we're going to spend, we are going to spend the first part of this summer looking at the infamous seven deadly sins. Dun, 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 exactly, right? What better day to start off than Father's Day? Father's Day, let's talk about sin. Um, we couldn't start on Mother's Day because mothers are perfect, right? So, so Father's Day, it just made more sense. All right. Let me see. Let me see how many, um, how many of you were, you know, raised in Catholic, Catholic school or something like that. Who, who out there can and shoot me one of, the, uh, one of the seven deadly sins? Just yell it out. I heard sloth. That's, that, serious, she went through catechism there, because that's the one, no, nobody remembers that one. Avarice, whoa, there we go. Avarice, another word for greed, yes. Gluttony, pride, lust, yes. What's that? Wrath, says the AV booth. <laughs> Wrath and anger, right? Uh, I think we got them all but one. No. Envy. Envy. That was, someone probably said it. I just didn't hear you. But envy. There you go. There you go. Um, so I was trying to look for some sort of mnemonics or some kind of way we could remember these. Um, there's all kinds of clever things people have come up with out there. Um, the one that I like the best was, uh, spells the word paggles. It just sounds like a cute little dog, doesn't it? Like your little puppy. Careful, he bites. Pride, anger, greed, gluttony, lust, envy, sloth. There they are, paggles. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time, or if ever, I've heard a sermon on sloth. Right? Sloth. I mean, that's those peaceful little, like, monkey bears that eat eucalyptus leaves. Uh, and that's a sin, right? Um, yeah, have you discussed your sloth issue with your friends lately? I'll tell you something you don't hear preached down here in the South, and that is gluttony. No, 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 right? Don't drink, don't smoke, don't have sex, don't, uh, you know, play the lottery. But preacher, what about eating too much? You go shut up and sit in the corner. That's, that's what you get down here in the South. We are not going to talk about that. Um, yeah, so, so we're going to kind of devote a day, devote a day to each of these, these big daddies that have traditionally led the, the list of super bad sins. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, okay, you know what, Scott, I'm checking out right now, kind of mentally. I'm, I'm checking out because I'm a good person. I've come to church. It's Father's Day, and I'm in church. All right, I'm, I'm pretty good. I've passed all this. This series must be for those evil people. We're going to talk about evil people, right? I mean, the naughty crowd running around out there. Not for me, because I've got it all together. Well, congratulations, you've got pride. Right? <laughs> so you just scored one of them right there. Uh, so you'll enjoy this. 
So I'm kind of researching this out. The, the church fathers for hundreds of years sort of, it took them a long time to sort of solidify this list. They discovered there's something pretty brilliant, and that is just about every sin that you can think of falls under the heading of, of one of these big seven. They're at the root of just about everything that can go wrong with a person. These things are at the root. And uh, there's something else surprising. They don't always refer to what you necessarily think they refer to. Sloth is really not just about being lazy, right? Oh, Ted, he's really laid back. It's the deadly sin of sloth, right? He's a snooze button hitter. Uh, Not really. There's more to it than that. Um, Gluttony, not just about eating a lot of food. So here's one of the insidious things about these seven deadly sins, is that we can't necessarily see them on each other's faces. If you looked at that list, you probably noticed they're not all able to be seen all the time. See, I could be standing here, you know, with my smile and my winning disposition, and I could have all seven raging going on underneath the surface, and you wouldn't know, right? Um, You can't always see someone doing pride. You can't always see somebody doing envy, doing lust. You can't always see it, even if it's happening. So it's not, it, it's what, it, this is why we have to realize in this, it's not the outward expression of sin that is actually the root problem that most of us have. That outward expression, ironically, that's what get most, gets most religious people really offended, is the outward expression of sin. But Jesus taught that it's what isn't happening inside you that can kill you. What is happening inside you can kill you. It's not the losing your temper necessarily, or running up your credit card debt, or watching internet porn, or lying to your boss. As bad as those things are, those are just the symptom. Those are a symptom. They're the tip of the iceberg. They're the fin sticking out of the water. That's all that is, right? And so they're a sign of something far deadlier going on beneath the surface. You might say it this way. It's what you can't see that'll bite. It's what you can't see that'll bite. So it doesn't do us any good here in the church, you know, to come into church and put on our religious clothes and we, we get all judgmental on each other because somebody's let their fin stick out of the water. When, when a lot of us have like all kinds of sharks swimming beneath the surface in our heads. Okay? So, actually, I gotta admit, as I was reading and praying and preparing for this series, I found something pretty humbling, and that is I have all of them. All of them going on at some point or another in different degrees, depending on the day, So trust me when I say this is a subject that I think is applicable to all of us. All of us. Now let me warn you of something else. One of the things that can happen when you start talking about sin, which is not the funnest subject, right? I mean, we can admit that. When you start talking about it, though, and you stop thinking of, oh, so-and-so, I I wish they were here today because I could really use this one. You know, when you stop that and start focusing on the sin in your life, you start living that self-explored life, something starts to happen, and that is things will get messy. Things will start to get a little messy. You'll start noticing things inside you that is just gross. Stuff you don't like. Stuff you don't want to acknowledge. 
right? You want to go, that's not, no, 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 that's not a sin. That's just a, a problem. That's just something I, I wrestle with or something like that, you know? So my advice to you in this series, as you're sitting here with me, we're going through this together, is have the courage to dig. Have the courage to dig. Go ahead and, and open yourself up. Let the light of God shine on the inside of you. It won't be pretty at first, but I guarantee it will be liberating, right? Because Jesus brings freedom. That's just a fundamental of the word. Jesus brings freedom. He doesn't bring condemnation. He brings freedom. So just keep reminding yourself of that every time it gets a little icky. He doesn't bring condemnation. He brings freedom. And he wants to set you free, all right? But to set you free, sometimes we've got to acknowledge some stuff. Now, um... Today, let, let's kind of start off by acknowledging, uh, look at where this list comes from, the seven deadly sins. Uh, one of the first questions people ask when I was telling them we're going to do this, first thing they ask is, is where is the seven deadly sins listed in Bible? What's the, the chapter and verse? So we're going to turn to that scripture. Oh, wait, there isn't one. They're not listed altogether. There's no passage that gives all seven of these sins together. While they are extensively talked, out, talked about throughout the Bible, the concept of the seven deadly sins, it actually came out of church history within the first few hundred years after Jesus. One of the earliest known uh, recordings of the seven deadly sins came from a, a group of monks in the fourth century, and it's kind of been refined over the centuries ever since. In the year 590, there was a a Pope Gregory the Great, he continued to tweak the list. Thomas Aquinas wrote a little bit about it. St. John of the Cross, uh, Dante in his famous Inferno, Dante's comedy in his Inferno, he wrote about it. The poet Chaucer wrote about it. And then finally in 1990, Brad Pitt starred in the movie Seven, uh, which was an instant classic. Right, what's in the box? Pope Gregory, Dante, Brad Pitt, if you're keeping score at home. So that's kind of how, how that goes. Um, there, there, there is quite a history of these seven deadly sins being explored even today in modern culture. Kind of interesting thing I found. How many of you uh, read C.S. Lewis growing up? As a little kid, you read the Chronicles of Narnia or something like that. Uh, there's some debate among some of the scholars that the, the books of the Chronicles of Narnia are actually themed after each one of the seven deadly sins. That was kind of interesting thought there. You can look into that your own. One that I found really, really super spiritual was Gilligan's Island. The idea uh, being that Mr. Howell, of course, greed, um, the professor, pride, ginger, lust, Marianne, envy of ginger, um, the skipper, he was always angry, so he's wrath, um, and some people put Mrs. Howell as sloth or Gilligan as gluttony, or, or you could kind of reverse those two. They're, they sort of are almost the same. And then, if that wasn't perfect enough... They're all trapped on this place that they all want to get off of, but they can't leave, so the island is hell. So that's the idea there. So just something to think about. Someone really creative, I found this, came up, found correlations to popular websites today. You got Twitter and Facebook and Netflix and eBay. I'm not sure what some of the other ones are on there, but I'll take their word for it. Um, so we're, we're dealing with this list that the list itself is over 1,600 years old based on the writings of the Bible that are three or 4,000 years old. So that tells me that maybe, just maybe, it's something we could pay attention to. So, now, 
Another question people might ask is, why the seven deadly sins? Why the deadly sins? Why not just seven sins? Well, Romans tells us, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Sin leads to death. It's the nature of sin. No sin ever leads to life. Sin leads to death. And there's no sin that we can be tempted with that'll lead us to good. We can, we can believe the lie that sin, someday it'll, it'll ultimately pay off, you know, like the ends will justify the means, but it never does. Sin promises, but it never delivers. It never delivers. And what's especially deadly about these seven sins is that each one of them will result in the absolute annihilation of love. Now, if you remember Jesus, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest virtue? What's, what is it all about? And Jesus answered, love. He was able to distill it all down to love. And so sin is the antithesis of love. It leads to the annihilation of love. And each one of these sins stands as, as a direct contradiction to life in the kingdom of heaven, the fruit of the Spirit. They're in direct contradiction to that. Pride, gluttony, greed, sloth, lust, envy, uh, anger. Each one of these things are exactly how the kingdom of heaven doesn't work. Right? They're at the root of everything that keeps us from a happy, healthy, fulfilling life in Jesus. Sin, it is death in action. Sin leads to death. It is death personified, death in action. John 10, uh, Jesus said this. He said, the thief, that's the enemy. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes that you may have life and have it to the full, right? So Jesus isn't trying to stop our fun. He's not trying to make us, you know, appreciate the world any less or, you know, appreciate art any less or anything like that. But he says he's come that we may have life to the full, and the wages of sin is death, and the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So we kind of get a glimpse, you know, once, once we think about it. It's, it's pretty simple. Sin is death in action. But now sin is sneaky, isn't it? Sin is sneaky, right? Um, if death were to come knocking on your door and be like, hello, come outside and play with me, you'd be like, no, you're, you know, you're death. I'm not going to come outside. You're just going to kill me. Thanks anyway. Right? So he goes away, and he comes back dressed as a little puppy dog called Paggles. Right? <laughs> he brings pride and anger and greed and gluttony and lust and envy and sloth along. And he, and he inserts these things. He wants to drop these things into our life. And they're really apropos times. And and these are things that start out as small seeds planted in our heart. And then they grow and they lead to other things that will destroy us. They just will. Now, uh, through God's grace, can you still get to heaven? It's not a trick question. Yes. Yes. Through God's grace, you can still get to heaven. Um, sure you can. But sin will cause us to believe in lies It'll cause us to hurt others. It'll cause us to destroy ourselves. And in the end result, before you know it, is we're dead. That is the wages of sin. 
and not just physical death either. We all are going to experience physical death, right? That's really not the end of the world. We're all going to be there. It's worse than that. It's emotional death. It's relational death. That's what sin leads to in our life. It's the death of joy, the destruction of all the potential that God has for you, that you were born with, that potential. Sin can lead to the destruction of that. And ultimately, yes, if it goes unrepented, sin can lead to spiritual death from which there is no resurrection. So that's, a, that's pretty hardcore, right? Sin desires to take our life. It's never satisfied. If you want to look at the effects of sin, the way sin works in a group of people, you only have to look at the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve's interesting. In Genesis 3, you know, they blow it, they eat the apple, and God says, who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit. What's the first thing these two start doing when God catches them sinning? They start blaming each other. That's, that's the first thing you do, is you start blaming each other. So, so get this, sin not only separates us from God, it begins immediately to separate us from each other. Sin is the arch enemy of relationship. And relationship's what it's all about. And sin is the arch enemy of relationship. Sin never stays personal. This is the big lie. This is the big lie that everybody, you know, that I, that I hope if you just go away with one thing this morning, this is it. The lie is that it stays personal. It's my sin. It's my sin. It's my own personal issue, right? I'm not hurting anybody but me. No, it never stays personal. It wants to destroy you, and it wants to destroy everybody around you. And eventually, what we see is the nature of sin is it moves from the individual to the community, to the whole society. That's the nature of sin. It just moves that way. This is the nature of sin. It never stays local. It wants to go global. What we see eventually throughout human history, all over the world, when sin gains this head of steam, it's the same thing. It eventually moves into the cultural. It moves into the systemic Right? And that's when you pass this tipping point to finally, you know, in your collective culture where good is called bad and bad is called good. Because sin has moved into the systemic in your culture. It, it started off with one person and it moves into the culture. And we're living in it today. We're living in it today. Several days ago, a guy walks into a church in Charleston, South Carolina while they're having church. And kills nine people. Nine of our brothers and sisters. Kills them dead. Now, you can get into all kinds of debates about it and what happened and what's going on and what'll fix that and what happened. You know, was he deranged? I'm sure he was. Who couldn't be? But you know what we also know? Yeah, as we're, as we're standing with our brothers and sisters in Charleston and we're mourning with them and we're praying for them, and we all stand together in that. And we're all asking those same questions. Why? How could this happen? Why? How? How? We, we know the ultimate answer of why. Because this is what happens when sin gains a head of steam and becomes intrinsic in your culture. Right? You get the hellish sin of racism. 
you get the hellish sin of violence, right? We're, we're, we're growing up in a culture where we solve our problems with a gun. So, of course, this happens. We, we live, I've said it before, guys, we live in a war zone. As good as you and I, a good a day as we might be having here and there, you know, we get our paycheck one day and, oh, yeah, everything's looking up. It doesn't change the fact we live in a war zone. We were created for the battle, right? This is a fallen world. We have a job to do. Anyway, the sin of Adam, the sin of Adam, it didn't stay with Adam, did it? It didn't stay with Adam and Eve. What happened? It eventually swept past him. It affected the entire planet. What began in the Bible with one moral failure, one moral failure, it morphed into this worldwide violence, that is the nature of sin. It's always moving from the garden to the globe. That's the nature of sin, from the garden to the globe. And in our own lives, I've seen something else very tragic that I've, I've learned the hard way is that sin can come back and bite you. Sin you thought was long gone can come back, right? What you thought at some part of your life or something was just between you and you, Right? And what you think, ah, this doesn't really hurt anybody, someday that sin can turn out to be a source of incredible pain for people that you love, people who had nothing to do with it, who were innocent, people who love you. Because sin is never satisfied. Sin is never satisfied. Your sin can come back to hurt the ones you love the most. It's never satisfied. What starts as sin becomes habit. And what happens to habits? Habits become addictions. And another word for addiction is slavery. That's, it's not far-fetched. It's the natural order of sin. It is what's going to happen if it's not recognized and dealt with. But God gives us an invitation. This is wonderful. God gives us an invitation. In Deuteronomy 30, he said this to his people, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Hmm. Right? Now, I went to public school, but I can figure which one I want. Right? I, I can figure it out. Life or death, blessings or cursings. God says, I've set before you a choice. Death and life. And I love this part. God says, now choose life. Choose life. God says, I'm giving you a test. Here's the answer. Choose wisely. Sin will kill you. So choose life. So that you and your children may live. So that you and your children may live. The, the whole idea of sin is not a popular topic in our culture, right? It, it's, you don't hear sin on the news. That's not a word we use in, you know, everyday language anymore. To call something a sin, in fact, or to say uh, someone's a sinner, it's kind of, it's become sort of taboo. Uh, instead, we like to say, I don't have a sin problem. I have a struggle. I, say, I, I mean, I've used the same thing. I'm not saying you're like evil if you said it. It just makes you human. I have a struggle. I didn't sin. I just made a mistake. You ever heard a, a, a pro athlete or a politician give a speech after getting caught <laughs> with somebody? It's never, I did something terrible. I sinned. 
You never hear that. It's always, I had a lapse in judgment, right? As if in that moment, someone just whacked me in the head with a frying pan. Who can know why I did that? Hmm. You know, I have a sort of illness. I think I need treatment. You know, I need rehab. So why do we say these things? Why do we say these things? Because at our heart, we want to believe that we're good people, right? Nobody wants to believe, like, they're a psychopath, right? We want to believe we're good people. We don't want to come right out and say, I did something terrible because I am a terrible person and I need a savior, right? (laughs) What kind of news conference would that be? (laughs) Man, I am terrible and I need a savior. We want to think that we're good, decent people. And so, so therefore, what we did must have just been a mistake. Um, I have to admit, uh, when I went to college, in, in my college years, there, were, there was a, a little time frame there. Um, I kind of ran away from a lot of what I knew to be true and kind of lived my own little scene. And I wasn't going around making any mistakes. I did those things on purpose, (laughs) right? It was all on purpose. And there was no mistakes being made. There were sins being committed, right? The first step of a person coming to Christ and allowing God to turn our ship around is admitting we need a Savior, right? if, If I'm telling you all this just so you can go home and work on your sin problem, then this is for nothing, we need a savior, right? You can't do this on your own. God said, none are righteous. Jesus said, none are righteous, none but God, right? Without God, no one's righteous. He also said that when he turns us into new creations, though, we are the righteousness of Christ. Now that'll mess with your head. When he turns you into a new creation, when you accept him in your heart, he has made you the righteousness of Christ. Not having to work towards righteousness. God sees you as already righteous. He made you righteous. But we have to call sin what it is. Otherwise, we're just going to go through life making excuses. Right? And I've been there. I've been there. It's, it's exhausting. Instead of calling sin a sin, we say... Uh, Instead of saying, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm envious. I've got an envy problem. We say, no, I'm a victim. Instead of saying, I, I'm greedy. I've got a greed problem. We say, I'm just ambitious. I'm disadvantaged. I'm not greedy. We replace something offensive with something softer because it takes away some of our responsibility from it. It's natural. Like I said... It doesn't make you sitting there some evil person. It makes you human. We just got to acknowledge it so that God can do something about it. Uh, instead of saying, I have a problem with anger, we say, I'm competitive, right? <laughs> really competitive. But getting free of sin, it can't come through excuses. It can't come through medicine. It can't come from mental exercises. The treatment for sin, becoming that righteousness of Christ that we read about, requires two things two things. You ready? It says rocket science here. You ready? Confession and repentance. It requires confession and repentance. Confession, I would say one of these is harder than the other, but they're both pretty hard. Confession is saying, yeah, that's me. I I have that problem. That is me. I sinned. I need a Savior. 
That's confession. I did this. Repentance, repentance is, is a big deal. A lot of people think repentance is just saying, I'm sorry. But repentance, the real word there, it means to turn. It means to turn away from the thing you were doing and walk towards God. So repentance isn't just going, sorry again, I'm going to go back to it again. You know, that's not repentance. Repentance is saying I'm sorry and then turning from the thing you did and walking towards God, trusting in him. That's repentance, turning to Jesus. Okay. Today's, as you can see, is kind of kind of an introductory to all these things. So I'm kind of getting a whole lot of different things out on the table for us because I want us on the same page for this series. Here's the other side of this. Here's the other side. I have to stress this at the beginning of this series because if you've been hanging out with us long at Generations Church, you know this. Uh, we're serious. We're serious about asking how do we become better disciples in the kingdom of God. We want to be disciples that make disciples. Right? I, I'm serious about that. Now, I'm, I mess up a bunch. I, I mean, I don't do it perfectly, but that's what we're after. We want to be disciples who make disciples to the very best of our ability. Being disciples who make disciples. Being changed by God to change the world. That's why we're here. To be changed by God to change the world. Not just to play church, to change, be changed by God to change the world. We're pursuing authentic relationship with God and with others so that people outside these doors can discover an authentic relationship with Jesus. Right? That's, that's what we're about here. The point of your existence, the point of your existence is to bring glory to God by bringing hope and the message of salvation, embodying that message of salvation to a hurting, dying world. It's the point of your existence, okay? So I'm going to say something a little controversial. You may not agree with it, but it's okay. You'll come around. The point of being a Christian is not sin management. Now just give me some time. Some of you are way, way, way. <laughs> give me some time. The point of being a Christian is not sin management. That's not your primary objective. Now, Scott, that's an unusual thing for you to announce right in the front of this, you know, series on sin. But it's true, and I want us to understand all of this in its proper context. See, you are not put on this earth to undergo 80 years of behavior modification. That's not why you were put on this earth. So eventually, eventually you can act good enough to make it into heaven where you're going to act good enough anyway. Right? That's not the point of this life. The point of your existence is to bring glory to God by embodying the message of hope to a lost and dying world. We want to embody that message. The incarnation. We talked about that. We're, we, we get to be incarnational. Right? To be incarnational. And through it all, developing this life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ himself. So, Having said that, where does sin fall, fall into this? Where does it fit in? Sin is what keeps you from fulfilling your purpose. It will keep you from it. Sin will keep you from enjoying a fulfilling relationship with God. Sin will block you from being who God made you to be. It really will. We just assume God loves me like a grandpa. He's going to laugh it all off. 
and give me, you know, my inheritance anyway. No, it will block you from being all he, he made you to be. But get this, and remember, if it's the only thing you remember this morning, the absence of sin does not turn you into an effective Christian. Now, that's important. The absence of sin doesn't turn you into an effective Christian. It's a growing relationship with Christ and his church that marks a maturing Christian. A growing relationship. We might put it this way. It's not about what you don't do that gets you closer to God. It's about what you allow God to do through you. Trusting in God. So you can live your whole life just trying to be good and never being effective for him. Right? And, and finishing your life as burnout as anybody else because you never trusted in God. Where, where Christians, I think, go wrong sometimes, and, and I've been guilty of this too, it's we, we judge ourselves sometimes on the basis of how little sin we did today. Today was a pretty good day. Didn't sin a whole lot, right? God, are you impressed? It was just that one time on the freeway, and that was it. Not bad. Not bad, right? I stayed locked in my closet all day today. Didn't sin a single time. Mission accomplished. Is that right? No, you just described a Pharisee. You just described a Pharisee. We get a whole New Testament of Jesus saying, no, right? In fact, Jesus does. He compares a person who who thinks this way as somebody who buries what God gives them in the ground because they're afraid they'll lose it. And you know what he tells that person to go do? Depart into hell. That's what he told that person, right? They were afraid to, afraid to make a mistake, afraid to lose it. I'm going to bury it in the ground, hide in the closet. I haven't done anything for God today. But what sin does, what sin does do is it stops everything in its tracks. Sin makes you ineffective for Christ. Sin makes you as ineffective as sitting in your room all day. Sin makes you miserable. Worst of all, the very worst of all, unconfessed sin will keep you from from experiencing the joy of an eternal relationship with God, right? We believe that. So, so this conversation to, to guard against sin, this conversation, it's not for evil people. It's not even for really people who are still exploring if there's a Jesus. What's, what's the point? of telling unsaved people to stop sinning. That's not going to help them, right? That doesn't help them. Telling unsaved people to stop sinning is giving them a false remedy for their problem. We tell our unsaved neighbor, you should stop doing that. You just, you're giving him this false sense of security. It perpetuates that myth that being good gets you into heaven. And it doesn't. Or none of us would be there right? So we can't even try to start controlling our sin until the Holy Spirit empowers us to do so. That comes after salvation, right? People who are still seeking God, people that are right here in this room who are still seeking God need to be shown love and compassion and told the good news of the kingdom of heaven, right? And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, then you don't need to worry about sin, I'm just going to tell you a shocking thing right now. You don't need to worry about sin, 
right now. We just invite you to open your heart and, and experience the freedom and salvation and forgiveness that Jesus Christ brings. Because he does. He will bring the freedom from the bondage of your sin. That's what's beautiful about our Jesus. He brings the freedom. We can't bring the freedom. You can't try hard enough to bring your own freedom from the bondage of sin. All the self-help books in the world won't help you. Jesus is the only one who brings it. You don't, need, you don't have to try to clean up. You don't have to try to hide your sin in order to get him to accept you. He wants it all. The whole thing. He wants you. And so I said that to say this. The conversation about sinning is really one for Christians. It's one for us. Why do so many famous Christians and, you know, famous preachers and some of our heroes in the faith, you know, of the last century, why do they fall into sin? Because they forgot that the scriptures, when you read them, the scriptures on sin are not written to unbelievers. They're written to believers. They're written to believers. Look at, in Genesis 4, he says, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. This was written to people already in God's camp. And he says, sin desires to have you, right? That is total possession. Have you. A strong language. It doesn't mean sin just wants to influence your life a little bit here. Sin is not content with annoying you. It wants to own you. Sin wants nothing less than to have the last word in your life. It's what it wants. It's what it's after. Paul talks about this tension that exists inside all of, all of believers between the Spirit of God that's working inside us and the sin nature. And it says this in, in Romans 7. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Verse 19, he says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I do. <laughs> this I keep on doing. I think Paul's in a little loop here, right? Verse 21, he says, Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's our deliverance. There's our deliverance. So, kind of land in this plane this morning. Hopefully, hopefully we're on the same page as we go forward. Our goal this summer is not to sit around and glorify sin. Understand that. I have no interest in that. My goal is not to make sin management the point of your life. But I do think God wants us to take this moment in the midst of this conversation we've been having all year long about our mission, our mission to pursue authentic relationship with God, pursue authentic relationship with other people, to make sure that we keep our, our finger on our own pulse. I think it's important that we do that, to remember that sin is not harmless. It is not without consequences. And I think ultimately we discover something, that understanding your enemy goes a long way toward winning the game and, and being happy, healthy Christians. We want to be happy, healthy Christians, right? Everybody does. Spotting the beast beneath the wave, 
It reduces his advantage over you when you know he's there. It breaks the power of the enemy when we see him, when we see him coming. We can see him moving. God wants you to be free. Jesus Christ went to the cross and died and rose again. Not just to forgive you of your sin, but to, you know, like forgive you and then leave you wallowing in the misery of it. He wants to set you free from its bondage. I hope you know that. Jesus, he doesn't just say, okay, you're a miserable thing. I'm going to forgive you. I don't want to look at you much. I'll come check you out when you're dead. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to forgive you. You're my child. And we're going to work on that, right? I'm going to set you free from the bondage. 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. John 12 said, Jesus came to drive out the prince of this world. Hebrews 2 said, Jesus came to destroy the controller of death. 1 Corinthians 15 said, Jesus came to put his enemies under his feet. And Colossians 2 said, Jesus came to disarm the principalities and powers on the cross. That's some good language there, right? I believe this. I believe that the greater your understanding of sin, the greater your appreciation of grace. The the greater you'll appreciate God's grace. And, And I have to admit something to you. As a, as a pastor and, and a new one at that, um, I'm never too fond of preaching on sin. It's just really not a, like in my natural wheelhouse. Uh, my experience looking, just observing the church, church world for decades. I'm not saying this church. I'm just saying, you know, the, the Western church is often, church culture can often be more about heaping guilt on people you know, uh, shooting the wounded rather than celebrating the gospel and the freedom that Jesus Christ brings. So I've never wanted to be that, you know, scowling preacher in the black suit that just reminds everybody over and over and over of the obvious fact that you're a sinner. Um, So I'm just being honest with you. It took a lot of soul searching and prayer to do this summer-long series on the seven deadly sins. But you know what? The The more I form relationships with people, I'll tell you what really changed my mind. The more I form relationships with people and I get to know them and their stories and what's going on in their life, I see there's way too many people suffering. Too many people suffering. Too many people who are victims of their own bondage. Victims of the sin that they're allowing themselves to be controlled by. Too many people who are believing lies told to them by by a broken world. There's too many people Sin is real, and we don't want to spend our lives glorifying it, but we do need to know our enemy. Amen? Amen. And you know what? The thing that I've come to realize in preparing for this isn't really how powerful sin is. I kind of knew that already, but it has reminded me that God's grace is more than sufficient for all of us. His grace is sufficient. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father God, we pray right now. We thank you, Lord, for giving forgiving the world your son Jesus Christ Lord where would we be without him thank you that he has come to conquer death hell and the grave to save us from our sins help us to embody Lord God the love that you would have us to show and to demonstrate that to other people Lord God all around us we thank you Father God that you make all things new 
in Jesus' name. Your mercy is new every morning, Lord. And then on the other side of death, hallelujah, there is a promised resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward right now. And let me give you one invitation. If you are here this morning and you want to experience God's grace for the very first time today, if you want to have freedom from the sins that have held you in bondage, that have drugged you down, I encourage you with all my heart to come up and pray with us. Pray with these amazing faith partners up here because they, they want to pray with you. It's not the same after we pray and your whole life can change today. In Jesus' name, hallelujah, it really can. Amen? Amen. You guys have been great. Y'all, thank you for your, your patience. And uh, I want to bless you before you go. In Jesus' name, may you allow God over the next coming weeks to shine his light inside of you, to bravely let him go where no man has gone before and shine those things inside you. And, and so anything that, is, that has kept you from what you're destined for. And may you find the courage in Jesus' name to open up to somebody else here and confess your sin to somebody else in love and humility. And may you come to recognize not only the sin that wants to devour you, but the unmatchable grace of God that wants to rescue you. In Jesus' name. Guys, have a wonderful week. We'll see you all later. Bye-bye.